This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, for sure, is the Democrat debate. But I have to say for myself, thankfully, life happened last night and I had an excuse not to watch the debate. My son had his first drumming gig with his little school band because it was Mardi Gras. So I was a roadie last night. (laughs) Apparently, the choice of drums as an instrument has far-reaching implications for my uh, involvement level as a parent. So anyway, that was fun. But I put an entire drum kit in my car and et cetera while you were stuck watching the debate. I can't believe that you found that more important (laughs) than watching... The Democratic debate last night, even though there was one last Tuesday. Trust me, I insisted that we bring every last drum and that he not hit or hitch a ride with anybody else and that I wait for him instead of actually going home and coming back. Well, after watching that debate, I would have preferred having somebody drum my head (laughs) with the drumsticks than watch that debate. So my drumming, as intense as it was, was... Nowhere near as bad as you are drumming. Uh, I, I just, these debates just get worse and worse, and they're so useless. At least for you, me, they're useless. Do you even know who it was? It was like uh, Mayor Pete, Mayor Mike. Mayor Pete, Mayor Mike, <laughs> Tom Steyer, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, the fighter, and Amy Klobuchar, who. Why is she still there? I think she's baking brownies. <laughs> In the green room or something? I'm telling you, I really think that she's got some... Yeah, she's either a hockey mom or a hockey goalie. I haven't been able to figure out which yet. Yeah, she definitely has a bumper sticker that says proud mom of something on the back of her car. Anyway, sorry, so I'm totally out of touch. You gotta gotta catch me up. And I would guess that potentially not one person who is listening to this right now watched the debate. So it's all you, Binkley. The best way that I can describe this debate is a few years ago, I did some short films that were titled Idiot Losers. And basically in these little sketch comedy films, the premise is that we would discuss something that would eventually devolve into unintelligible (laughs) shouting match about something petty. That's what this debate was. This debate was an episode of of Idiot Losers. Yeah, Yeah. of of the pilot you did for Fun World. Which would have been my absolute favorite television show. I cannot believe that that didn't get picked up. Of course, I totally believe it didn't get picked up. But where the itchy and scratchy characters that everybody watches on TV just say to each other, you're stupid, no, you're stupid. Yeah, it was similar to that as well. (laughs) This was more of something really petty and we're having a shouting match about it and nobody can hear what anybody says and nobody makes any legitimate points really and everybody's stupider for the process. Even <laughs> yes, the moderators yes, are shouting at lose, each other. You lose IQ points engaging in this. Yes, this, there's a lot of brain damage done by yes, watching this debate it. last night. Here's a few of the highlights, I guess, or what stuck out to me is Bloomberg came out of the gate by asserting himself a little bit better than he did the first time. He did better this time. He still comes off as a cold, no-empathy prick. He's very unlikable. He has no charisma. He is he is Donald Trump without all of the charisma and showmanship. That's what he is. He's a stand-in for Donald Trump and everybody But add in business acumen. Business acumen. Yeah, yeah. So he has that. He also has Clint Eastwood's endorsement, which is another what? similarity. 
Yeah, it's very similar. Because Mike can get it done? Mike can get it done. <laughs> Mike can get it done. Let me tell you what that means. So he came out of the gate by telling Bernie that Russia wants, him, Russia wants you to win because they love Trump and they know that you can't beat Trump. <laughs> that was what he came out of the gate with. And the That's audience great. was clearly So now, stacked. oh my gosh, so now Russia is interfering in the primaries. They're interfering in our democratic primaries. <laughs> to which Bernie went to the uh, camera. You know, and it, like Russia has... Be- more important stuff to no, do. No, they don't. It does not have everyone in Russia, budget, and it doesn't matter who wins nope. here to them. They're okay. all obsessed. There's pictures of every Democratic candidate on Putin's wall, oh on the wall God. of every Russian home, and they're all like... <laughs> on the job. Everyone in Russia is united in their effort to interfere in our elections. It's a world. Okay. It's a nationwide obsession. Bernie responded by going to the camera, going, "I'll tell Mr. Putin this. I will tell him that if I am president." He will not be interfering in the Americans' election again. He said it real fiery and people cheered. Nobody, I mean, what is that? You think Putin shaking in his boots, seeing an old communist (laughs) shout at the screen? No, he doesn't care. Oh, he eats old communists for breakfast, that guy. He he built his career on the bones of old communists. He's an old communist. He's an old communist. He's a reformed young communist. Right. So Bloomberg came out of the gate with that. Then my favorite part was about in the middle of the debate. This debate was on CBS. After everybody's attacking Bloomberg, instead of Bernie, really, even though Bernie's leading, they're still all attacking Bloomberg. Another thing is I think it's hilarious that it's always billionaires like Bloomberg and never billionaires like Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer's also a billionaire. Nobody seems to care about that. They only care. Did I tell you the Bloomberg about, is a billionaire about the Tom Steyer ad I heard? No, what was so it? So this ad, it's like a campaign ad. It's totally scripted. It's an ad. And at the end, he says, we're going to kick Donald Trump's ass on the economy. And I'm like, vulgarity, like the essence of vulgarity, in my opinion, and I have been a master of vulgarity since I, my first word was fuck. And my Are eight you serious? Older, I'm dead serious. My eight older brothers and sisters made a point not only of teaching me fuck as my first word, but it had to be in the exact Sheep's Head Bay Brooklyn accent that Andrew Dice Clay and my family have. Fuck. <laughs> That's it. So I have been <laughs> weaned on vulgarity. And a part of it is spontaneity. So scripting it in and no, it's like when Jane Sakat, what was her name? Jan Sakowski or something. Yeah. She was, when this whole vulgarity thing was taking off and she was making a speech, she said, she used vulgarity, and then she said, they tell me that's okay now. Yeah. And you saw that in the original one, but then they edited it out for all the YouTube videos after that. They actually went, like they, somebody, because it was all disseminated on the post-edit version. So I just, it just turns me off when you're making this obviously manipulative decision to use vulgarity, which you really do not need to use vulgarity, which has some like limitations on when and where you're allowed to use it. It kind of messes up your head. Like you're making obviously a decision to do it. And that just feels so manipulative to me. Yeah, trying to give that revolutionary spirit, trying to convey that. but Trying to connect with the youth. Right. Bloomberg had an ad right in the middle of the the CBS debate. It cuts away from the debate and goes directly to a Bloomberg ad. 
Come on. If Facebook can completely suppress all political advertising, don't you think it's at least common sense that in the moment of political discourse, you not allow the advertiser? I mean, I don't care what they do, but that seems a little asking for trouble. It looks like it's begging for regulation. It's hilarious to see Bloomberg up there on stage. He clearly doesn't really care that much about the debates. <laughs> I totally agree. He doesn't care. He doesn't even then care in the ads. Cuts in the to ads. his ads. Yeah. And if the ad is like, what does it mean? Mike will get it done. And Mike it's will like, get it I, done. Yeah. What does that mean? I built a business, a That's family. True. That's much better. I could do his accent probably. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know his accent well. I'll I have to work on that <laughs> for as long as we need it. All right, so... Elizabeth Warren continued her no-nonsense grandma vibe that you <laughs> brought on. And again, Bernie's the leader, so she's attacking Bloomberg, and she's talking about how when she was a young mother, he was obviously pregnant, obviously pregnant, and then my boss looked at me, and he, he I got fired because she was pregnant, right? And then she goes, at least I didn't have a boss who, like Bloomberg, told me to kill it. And she emphasized the kill it. She emphasized that because he was accused of telling a pregnant woman so that worked for abortion? him to kill her baby, or she's going to Elizabeth get fired. Warren called abortion killing a baby. No, she didn't. No, I'm I'm like I, I'm not saying quote. Yeah, but like she is did. that what In you're effect, saying? She did say that. Yes, she did say that. It wasn't about abortion, but yes, she did in effect say that. I know. I, I thought that too. I was like, wow, that's contradictory in another context. But Well, that whole argument is so weird. Yeah, so the idea is to attack Bloomberg. That claim was never proven. Bloomberg immediately, immediately was like, oh, come on, I never said that. And <laughs> then she goes on to attack. So her attack on Bloomberg is he tells pregnant women to kill their babies. Then she goes on to attack frontrunner Bernie Sanders by saying, I agree with everything Bernie says. She just says he's great and says, I just think I'd be a better president. So that's her attack on Bloomberg versus her attack on Bernie. Some people think she wants to be Bernie's running mate. I don't know. Oh, but. Well, that sounds like a winner. Yeah. <laughs> well, she would be president. Whoever is Bernie's running mate. An old 50, angry 50 couple. is going to be president. Do I? Oh, yeah. Well, she's I mean, pretty- he's so florid. You can see he looks like he's experiencing heart problems. He looks like a heart attack. You know, his face is flush all the time. It's like, I just don't, you know, there's definitely an internal struggle going and, on there. Yeah. His entire campaign is dependent on him getting worked up and angry. Because he says the same thing over and over right, again, but he just right. does it with a lot of enthusiasm, and you gotta right. get real mad. And yeah. that's the so reason. So even if he's faking it, he might just kill right. over. And that's the only reason people respond to him. If Pete Budovich delivered his message the way that Bernie delivers his message, Pete Budovich would have a fired up base as well. But Pete Budovich delivers his like this. I'm the most proper. He's a robot. Yeah. the way he talks. So we'll see what he's what what uh, they're. <clears throat> crafting his image for later because he's AOC, Stacey Abrams level created person. Yeah, I completely agree. A couple more quick things on the debate is that Bernie's argument for everything was once again, billionaires exist and that's the problem. That was his primary argument the entire debate. You know what the answer to billionaires existing is? What? Competition. Competition. I just have to explain this just real quick. Go for it. This is how it works. You invent something. It's great. You make as many as you can. Get it out there. Get super rich. That's great. Thank you for inventing it. Everybody's happy. Okay? 
the next day or year or whatever, somebody looks at that thing, figures out how to make it, didn't have to worry about inventing it or anything like that, just figures out how to make it. Then they make a million of them, drive the price down, and then you stop making your money, but you got rich for inventing it, whatever. And then the price goes down, people can have more of them. And eventually, like everybody who can figure out how to make it, makes it so that nobody really gets rich anymore off it. However much it takes you to build it and make it and use capital to have a factory or use your time, it evens out so that the marginal return on labor and capital is basically zero. It's that if you could make more money in another business, you would keep entering that business until you can't really make any more or people would just keep entering the business. It's called economic zero. There's a race to economic zero. And then everybody has more stuff for less and nobody gets super, super rich. Now, I'm fine with people getting rich. I don't care. But I'm saying those kind of maintained outside profits are often, if not always, a result of regulatory barriers to entry or other policy issues that keep people from competing you down to economic zero. That's why Rockefeller, the first one, said, if I if the quote is accurately attributed to him, competition is a sin. And that's when I believe the robber barons ushered in the progressive era of corporate regulation. Well, Bernie doesn't like that at all. <laughs> well, Bernie maybe needs a little economics lesson, but Bernie I think even accuses, pretty much everyone would agree with that. Yeah. Even the problem with the other non-billionaire candidates for Bernie is still billionaires because it's male Pete, male Pete's right about so-and-so, but the problem is all of his backers are billionaires. Joe, all of his backers are billionaires. The billionaire is worked into every answer that he gives. And where is it going? I mean, it seems to me that the election process from the primaries to the caucuses to the DNC to how they're attacking Bernie to how Bloomberg's bringing in the money and then ultimately Russian interference, media impact on the elections. All of this stuff is all coming down. Popular vote versus electoral vote. Um immigrants, all this kind of stuff, everything, everything is all seems to be converging at once to have hashtag election crisis 2020 so that the whole darn thing is revamped from bottom to top. And the attack on the caucuses to me is proof positive that they are really trying to have a a wholesale reinvention of the election process, just highly controlled, probably highly digitized to where it's really like a dystopian science fiction thing where you go in and you, whatever, you tell the screen who you're voting for. and You don't have to say anything. It just reads your brainwaves. Yeah. And then they tell you what the answer is. They tell and you, you who you voted for. Yeah, you assume that it's all accurate and on the up and up because by this time you've been so dumbed down that you know, you're just looking for your Soma or whatever. <laughs> so speaking of Russia, Biden was asked... If he's president and we learn that Russia interfered in the 2020 election, which has already been predetermined, so of course we're going to learn that, will he conduct a retaliatory cyber attack? And that is something to look out for because we know that we're already attacking people cyberly. Don't you remember when you and I both noticed and like nobody ever talked about it? There was just like this one line in uh, an Obama, was it a speech or a report or whatever? It's like, oh, 
JFYI, we dropped a landmine, a cyber mine in this stuff we sent to Russia. So if they ever do anything to us, we can just activate it and it'll completely nuclear explosion their systems. We already like, have what? them what? basically what? on. <laughs> yeah, we have them basically held hostage with cyber bombs. Mm-hmm. I believe they were referred to them and Iran. Operation uh, Nitro. Nitro Zeus. Yeah, Nitro Zeus. So, yeah, I would say we're we've already got plans for this in place. If And if we want to activate that stuff to spark like a cyber nuclear war, we could just say they did it to us first because we do stuff like right. that. Right. And we can mimic the the cyber fingerprint of any other country right. as released in the Vault 7 release a couple of years ago, which that- I think Bill Binney told us about that. Yeah. Believe one final debate thing is that Bernie presented his education plan where he talks about his zero to four preschool plan, child care plan, which is exactly the same. He even uses the exact same language about the brain and forming the brain, just like Stacey Abrams used. And the plan's identical to Stacey Abrams, based on what I heard, cradle to career. And it's a plan that comes directly from UNESCO, the United Nations. Wow, interesting. Well. I mean, we absolutely have to move on, but I'm going to... Let's move on. That's way too much debate, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, I need some comic relief because we've been talking about coronavirus every day for so long, and it's just, it's depressing. But I have to say, I think that we did a good thing, and we did a special report on, it was like 40-minute thing or 45 minutes on kind of everything that we gathered so far of the parallels and the agenda of Event 201, the novel coronavirus live simulation from October 2019, versus what we're really seeing unfold. And every single solitary day, you see more and more of that to the point where even today, there are a couple of headlines. One said that uh, governments embrace web shutdowns, and it's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, and and it's criticizing them for suppressing speech or whatever. And I see in that, Part of the Event 201 thing where they actually want governments or say that governments will shut down the internet, that without global governance and global standards and preparedness on how to have a controlled and well-meaning internet shutdown just to keep conspiracy theories away so that the governments and the health agencies can do their job, that that governments will just do this willy-nilly internet shutdown and it'll be bad. Uh, there was somebody who was holding a sign in the picture that said internet access is a human right, which I've seen before or heard before in some of the clips you've played for us on Propaganda Report. Once you call it a human right, it has to be provided. And if it has to be provided, it has to be provided safely. That means regulation at the same time. A couple of weeks ago, Facebook and other companies like that called for a global governance of regulatory system for the potentially damaging information that comes up through those resources. So I expect this, although it had nothing to do with coronavirus, to, over the next 12 months, dovetail into that argument. And this stuff all came out of Event 201. If you do want to hear the kind of overview of Event 201, go to thepropreport.com. It's the special report we put up a day or two ago, February 24th or 25th, or to the Propaganda Report podcast feed. I think we put it up there but it looks like every person who <laughs> listens to that stuff has listened to it because there was some demand for it anyway so uh yeah the coronavirus it just it keeps it keeps plugging along it's still messing with the markets and i i don't know if it's real or not but it's i mean it's getting real yeah it's definitely the gift that keeps on giving for <laughs> our show right now anyway 
I went to the doctor today. I took my mom to the doctor, and he got to talking about the coronavirus. First, when I went in there, I noticed that you have to fill out a form telling them if you've been to China, if you've been experiencing, and they list off the symptoms, which are flu symptoms, but are symptoms that we've been hearing about the coronavirus. But you go on to read the rest of the questions, and it's like, have you been around anybody who's traveled to China? So it's clearly a coronavirus evaluation form that you fill out. And I was sitting there reading that, and I'm going, if I did have any of this and I didn't want to be quarantined, I'd probably lie. Oh, absolutely. And Yeah, of course. Yeah, if they're gonna, And if they're, they're going to show that voluntary submission is not going to work. Right. Of so course. they need to actually monitor you and track you every single person all the time because you cannot trust people. And it's going to be like gun control. Like they're going to have different angles to their agenda. And one of the things is going to be, oh, look, typhoid Mary or Corona Mary or whatever is <clears throat> she lied. Yeah. And doctors are going to be required to report it, which is going to further encourage people to lie about it if they know that their doctor will have to report if they check yes to any of these things. They're going to show damage and danger from both compliance and non-compliance, voluntary, forced, national, private, they're going to show that no matter what anyone did, no matter how well-meaning they were, it did not really work. It caused either virus, virus spread or panic. And that the only answer is a coordinated response between the private and public spheres at, from everywhere, from the local to the global level. That's what Event 201 was after. And that's why all of these stories look like they're, they're criticizing different things. Competent government, incompetent government, proactive, retroactive. They're criticizing it all because what they're after is a system that they want to put in place that can circumvent laws, circumvent options, and have it a system, you know, a top-down, systemic, centralized uh protocol that can be triggered and and you would then have no choice even on the national level is my prediction another thing that i think that's a good prediction another thing that they're encouraging is they're encouraging social separation staying isolating people staying away from people so that you don't get the disease this is what they're doing over in china these are the methods that they're promoting in china they say this saved everybody and what social separation one thing it does we've talked about people gathering in masses and the influence of the crowd there's the good and bad with that but social separation if that's done on a mass scale that prevents the population from uniting together to rise up against a corrupt government Wow, that's a great point. And the that's so interesting because, first of all, the CDC chick you quoted yesterday, she was telling us to prepare for teleschooling yeah. and all that. So they'll install school into your computer, mm-hmm. whatever. So like that would kind of, <clears throat> in that case, maybe they even get rid of true homeschooling. But I have often thought about, I people don't like it because I tend to be, Like, I don't have a lot of hope for, like, the way we're going. My hope is in waking people up because I think that the level of propaganda is pretty clearly uh, a reflection of the fact that our power is 100% in our consent or withdrawing our consent. So we have the power. That's a very hopeful thing. But one thing they're doing is, I think, with, like, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that, there's a chance that what we are acting as, all of us, all of us who engage in this stuff, what feels like political activity to a level that we've never actually engaged in before, that what we're actually doing is using a release valve or relief valve. I always forget what it is. What, I think it's a relief valve. So that we're 
getting our frustrations out by venting on Twitter or whatever in a digital way, but because the way the media and the government stuff frames the issues, we're talking about coronavirus instead of Bill Barr supporting a renewal of FISA. Yeah. You probably didn't even hear about that. No, it didn't. Right. So that that came out today. Hopefully I'll talk about it tomorrow. But so I think that that like digitizing the the sphere, the public square, we also saw in like some of that U.S. Army college stuff from I think even 2000 and from Cass Sunstein's um, cognitive infiltration thing about conspiracy theories. They both cite how much easier it will be to control the political conversation in the digital space. And then ultimately part of that, hey Edmund, part of that will be to uh, create AI birds of a feather. So you think you have a political action group going on on your local level, like, like your digitally local level, but you're the only human being in the group. That was from a Quartz article. Uh, about Google. So essentially creating a false reality for every individual through the digital sphere. Yeah, and giving you, yes, that virtual reality, yeah. uh, uh, civic engagement in virtual reality. They can control that makes no the public difference sphere at all. virtually better than you can. Right, and because physically. you don't you don't get, they don't have a holodeck for every issue. They only have a holodeck for the shit that they are, they're generating that they want you to focus on, that they're, you know what I'm saying? We're, We've got a holodeck for coronavirus, but we don't have a holodeck really for Operation Guardian. Yeah. Let me tell you what the doctor said about coronavirus. Oh, yes, please do. He said that there's people most likely walking around all over America with the coronavirus. He says that the testing standards that they have, they don't have any. He says the United States has no real testing standards for doctors to follow. He said if somebody came in with symptoms that he wouldn't know what to test or look for besides a typical virus or flu symptom, and he would tell people the same thing that he tells them when they have the flu, unless they needed to be hospitalized. So he didn't seem too worried about it. It's He's, exactly yeah. what, I mean, I certainly, it's exactly what I thought. It's like, yeah. it's a flu, maybe even just a cold. If you have pneumonia, if you're vulnerable, it's treated the same way. If you're going to die of pneumonia, you should be in a hospital. You should be getting the fluids. They should help you make sure you don't suffocate in your own liquid lungs. But other than that, they cannot really help a virus. Rest, get good nourishment. Just don't spread it around. Yep. And that's already, all they can do. That's yeah. why I'm saying don't go to the clinics where you're spreading around. Don't go to the clinics and overwhelm the system. There's no reason for that. If you know it's a flu or a cold, don't go to the doctor. Yeah. Because they can't help you. No, right. They've already shipped the first vaccine. A drug maker has in record time. They've shipped it, and they're going to be doing the first Gideon? human trials. Who is, it? Who is it? What company is it? Yeah. The company is, they're called Moderna, M-O-D-E-R-N-A, Moderna. Okay, Inc. yeah. Moderna, okay. Yeah, and they just shipped the first batch of the experimental vaccine, and the first human trials are coming soon, and they hope that it will be ready by mid to late summer. Do they know where it's going? Where the is where, it going to China or is it going here? Well, it was sent to the National Institute it? of Allergy and Infectious Disease here. Yeah, the okay. federal scientists, the federal scientists will be oh, investigating okay. it, and if everything goes well, the clinical oh the clinical trials are going to begin as soon as April. Vaccine mid to late summer. Right. Well, the flashpoint was supposed to be basically May first, but yeah. maybe it's accelerating. Yeah.
That's about all I got on the coronavirus <laughs> today. Uh, other than the, it has oh. continued to spread. Oh, wait, there was one thing I just saw on the on the action or the situation report from the World Health Organization that just released. They say for the first time since the onset of symptoms of the first identified case, there have been more new cases reported from countries outside of China than from countries inside of China. So the global spread is what they're emphasizing. Okay, so it's it's the rate of growth is waning in China, if mm-hmm. not going backwards, and it's surging the rest of the world. So that's it's really entering the definition of a pandemic. Right, and you know why it's waning in China, the excuse I give? Because of the great work the, to, oh, the totalitarian draconian <laughs> methods did to contain it. They showed us what to do to stop it. Uh, oh, my goodness. So I do – I have a bunch of stuff I want to – mostly I'm happy to save it till tomorrow uh, because I want to hear this AI thing. Can you? Oh, the Clearview AI. That? Yeah. We, I did, we talked about that on air, right? I believe we talked about Clearview that. AI was in the news and I was just like, why? And the guy is kind of just collecting everybody's face. You know, yeah, it's, it's in the news. AI like program this that he yeah, claims scrapes face. photos from every single source possible on the internet and puts everybody's <clears throat> face in a digital database that has billions of our images in it that they allowed the FBI and law enforcement around the country to use. And the law enforcement agencies admitted that they didn't, they had no idea anything about the guy who created this app. They were using all these images for a facial recognition scan. They could draw up, all you got to do is take a picture of somebody and this database could pull up all the images of them available. All wow. of them available. And wow. they actually got to But isn't see- that what Google Images... Oh, but you, no, no. Google, Google Images, images you is terrible. words in. You know, it is terrible, it's but terrible. you write words in anyway. Yeah. And they actually got a cease and desist letter from Twitter and Google after this New York Times story broke. So... Now, this database that the FBI and other law enforcement agencies are using and also has law enforcement agencies' photos and stuff in, they just announced that their billions of photos, their entire client list, has been stolen by hackers. Wow. Hmm. Imagine that. Who would have predicted? I don't know. That was a weird story when it came out, and now that the other shoe is dropping like this... I think we're going to hear more so, about this. Their client list, meaning the people who are using their facial recognition services or everybody whose face they have. Because the faces, I don't think, have necessarily names on them. I think it's like a fingerprint machine where you could put the face in and it comes up with matches. It maybe. says that the intruder gained unauthorized access to its customer list, which includes police forces, law enforcement agencies, and banks. And the company said that the person did not obtain search histories conducted by their clients, which the clients are the police forces. So it would be very helpful to see the search histories because then you can see what they're up to. Because I wonder what the rules are for that. Is that, you know, is that information public? Like, well, this Very is interesting. interesting here. They The company retains the photos in their database even after internet users delete them from platforms or make their accounts private. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. Once you let something out, it is hard to claw it back in. Yeah. I wonder what Stefan Kinsella would say about this. He's all about Who's the uh, intellectual property. He's the intellectual property lawyer, very uh, beloved libertarian, and he talks about he doesn't really believe in intellectual property. He's like, if your information, if information is out there, I can, if I can grab it, I, it's mine. Yeah. You know, you can't have the government come into your house and say, you're watching a movie on your TV that you didn't make and take your TV or whatever. He's like, <laughs> you can't use the government for that. 
But anyway, I maybe I'll I'll look into. I'm sure he's addressed these kind of issues, so we'll look into that. What was his name again? Stefan Kinsella. Okay, I'll check that out. People love him. Well, the libertarians in the audience are like, oh, obviously, I love Stefan Kinsella. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I oh should I tell you the Harvey Weinstein thing just to uh, yeah add a little salaciousness to the whole conversation. So I didn't mention this yesterday, but his lawyer, his defense lawyer, after he got the verdict read, his lawyer said he took it like a man. Oh, I heard that. So that's helpful. Oh yeah, it wasn't just that. It was no, also, it's the Bill Cosby. Yes, thing. yes, the Bill Cosby. Right, so one. can I read the statement? What did he say? That yeah. his team put out the statement. Now I have to say, you know, I don't think Bill Cosby should be in jail, and I don't. I, I yesterday said I thought the Harvey Weinstein thing was not good for the criminal justice for us to have <laughs> criminal justice. But you gotta wonder, like, if these people are trying to lose on purpose or what. So this guy says. It's one of those lawyers, I think. This is not shocking. So the verdicts, I don't know. (laughs) Because these jurors were not sequestered, which gave them access to media coverage and the sentiments of public opinion. There's no way you would have anyone believe that Mr. Weinstein was going to receive a fair and impartial trial. Also, this judge showed that he wanted a conviction by sending the jurors back to deliberate after they were hung on many of the counts. Here's the question that should haunt all Americans, especially wealthy and famous men. You know, I mean, it's like when Bill Cosby's like, thank you, Farrakhan, for saying those chicks are asking for it. Thank you. Like, this is what you're emphasizing. It's not quite finished, but. Bill Cosby needs a new PR guy is what he needs. Yeah, this guy is probably working for not Bill Cosby. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like when the mob, when you're in the mob and you get arrested and they send you the mob lawyer. He's not really worried that you may or may not go to jail. Yeah. He's just trying to figure out if he has to kill you or not. Right. <laughs> you know? They send you a lawyer, but he's not really yeah, yeah. worried about you. So he says, where do we go in this country to find fairness and impartiality in the judicial system? And where do we go in this country to find due process? Lastly, I mean, I agree with a lot of it. Lastly, if the hashtag Me Too movement isn't just about Becky, do you know who Becky is? No. White women. That's what it says. Oh. Bracket white women. I guess I that's I thought that like was Karen. Karen. Karen is a very, like a sub demo. Okay. Of Becky. <laughs> so uh, I would challenge hashtag me too and ask them to go back 400 plus years and tarnish the names of those oppressors that should be who raped slaves. This is a very sad day in the American judicial system. You know, it always baffles. He's not all wrong. You know? I'm not saying he's, he's all wrong. He's not even wrong. It's just that it's, you're not. Nobody's going to listen. In, why put especially wealthy and famous men in there? I mean, I could think of a thousand examples where wealthy and famous men, John Corzine, Google John Corzine. Yeah. Yes. I would like justice for John Corzine, which would mean he'd be in jail forever, but he's not. It just baffles me. You're right. That's not necessarily wrong, but nobody's listening to it coming from Bill Cosby's lawyers. Oh, they're listening to it because they're going absolutely crazy. You know what he should have tweeted? He should have <laughs> tweeted to really spin people's minds. He should have tweeted, thank God justice was finally served and that monster's going to be in prison. Hashtag me too. Straight from Bill Cosby's Weinstein account. Weinstein raped me. Yeah, yeah. Weinstein gave me quaaludes. <laughs> he did it and, to me. <laughs> yeah. That's how I get started on it. He's a monster. <laughs>
<laughs> you guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you tomorrow.